This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university located in San Francisco on unceded Ramaytush Ohlone land. In their early 20s, Mimi Zhu was a survivor of intimate partner abuse, which left them broken and in search of healing paths to relearn love. Mimi began writing a collection of powerful, interconnected essays and affirmations that followed their journey toward embodying and relearning love after their violent romantic relationship. The result is a stunning and provocative book, Be Not Afraid of Love, which, like all of Mimi's work, is a testament to the strength and adaptability humans possess and a tribute to love. In this episode, Mimi is joined by author and multidisciplinary artist Faria Roshin for an empowering conversation on life, art, and what it means to not be afraid of love. This episode was recorded during a live online event on October 10th, 2022. A transcript is available at ciispod.com. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Um, I'm good. I have a lot of questions that I want to ask you, but I'm also just really curious about where you're at and how you're feeling. And uh, you've had a roller coaster, I feel, over the last couple of months. So I really think for me and for those of us who are here, I really want to know how you've been these last couple months since the book has come out. Thank you. Um, I, I mean, we are such great friends and I think catching up in this way is so special and delightful and I'm going to try not to get too personal or emotional, um, but it's really special to be just like checked in with, especially because I think you are familiar in many ways of this process. And it has absolutely been a roller coaster. And I love to say that it's a joy ride because it definitely is. And it's an absolute honor to watch people form relationships with the work and the book. Well, at the same time, it's been a really deep time of boundary setting and protection. Not so much protection from people, even though that is always important to do but also protection in terms of like re-exploring the trauma or having to revisit it through every reading, through every event, yeah. even through every conversation yeah. um, had with somebody who's read it, you know, kind of having like, it's kind of this very odd experience where people will be like, I read your book and they'll tell me what they think. And it's usually really beautiful and grounding feedback. And I just know that they know, I'm like, you know, you know what I've been through because I wrote a book about it. And so you see this layer of me that is not necessarily something that I 
present publicly by appearance but because of this work that I have written and I have gifted to the world you know you know what's up and there's this level of intimacy there there's this level of closeness there and I'm just trying to navigate it all honestly and at the end of the day I'm more than grateful and I'm blessed and I feel so happy and at the same time I'm resting and I'm I don't feel bad about it yeah oh my god that's amazing yeah, it's funny because I um, had read the book before and wanted to read it again for this conversation. Wanted to read it again, obviously, just because I wanted to read it again. And um, I think like it's really fun to read a book in the book form that it's come in, you know. And um, reading it, I did think that there must be so many people that are reaching out to you and asking for your time, trying to tell you about their story, um, saying like how they've moved and moved by it. I mean, I've had people tell me things about it. So I know that, I know that people are being really like shaken and, and stirred by a lot of, I mean, also as your friend, you know, reading it is really uncomfortable um, and painful. Um, and I'm sure everyone sort of, yeah, like kind of disclosed that to you. How do you navigate one, not feeling like you need to be responsible for other people's feelings. And how are you ensuring that you're actually resting? I think that is just such a beautiful question. And I think it's a question that I'm asking myself every day. I think maybe there is something inherently a part of me, I guess, from my childhood, from being from an Asian upbringing that feels like I'm obligated to give all of me all the time and if I don't then I don't deserve love and praise which yeah. is like this like mode of scarcity and this mode of survival that totally. I've been and when I do kind of get these messages that I'm really grateful for there's an immediate kind of like reaction to be like okay you have to respond you have to like tend to everything you have to let them know how grateful you yeah. are and I am, while at the same time, I've learned to just be like, do I have the capacity right now to extend myself emotionally and to get into it? And if I do yeah. that, right, I want to do so with intention instead of without like the obligation, right? And I, I know, I know that readers and people who have read the work understand that and have been extremely respectful of my time and my space. Um, my therapist actually said something really beautiful that I think you'd really love and appreciate, but she said that, you know, there's like specifically in like Chinese opera, for example, there's this one dance that's like a mask dance, right. Where they like put on these masks and then they kind of switch them out really rapidly. It's like a performance, but before they do this mask switching ceremony, they have to do like a a grounding exercise to kind of remember who they are without the mask. Mm. And when she told me that, you know, as kind of like a metaphor of what's been going on, because when I go to, when I went on tour, I know I have to talk about my trauma in a way. I know I have to be wary of people's triggers and be respectful and be in these spaces and somehow present something to the world. Right. And that is in a way, in all honesty, me getting into like a zone, me getting into this performance mode, me switching my mask. 
And I remember what my therapist said that before I do that mask switching, before I kind of give myself right to an audience, before I respond to someone in messages to just do a very simple ceremony, as simple as taking a deep breath and remembering like who I am, my capacity, and then moving from that place of groundedness instead of like, I have to do this. Otherwise nobody will like me, you know? Mm. I feel like that also fosters a more genuine response. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess just like deep breathing, deep breathing has been really helpful and also spacing out my tour like a lot. Like mm. in the last month I went to, I did six events and wow. yeah. And I went to Toronto, which I've never been to before. So I got to see a new city. Um, well, at the same time, by the end of it, I learned that I did push myself a little bit and that was a great lesson because in all this like care work that we talk about and that we practice, I must remember to not forget about caring for myself, you know? So that's been like push and pull of this whole process. And yeah, I appreciate you for asking that because I know that you probably gone through the same. And I want to ask you like, how, how have you been? How, how the last few months been? How is your, process as well um I have been going through a really deep depression and like that's just been where I've been at I'm just it's I've just been struggling quite badly Mm -hmm. and I don't know I I have a lot of compassion for myself right now and it's taken a lot to get here but I was sort of in this haze because our books didn't come out that far away from each other but enough that we've had like very like separate experiences and um but you know like this whole year was pretty brutal with everything with the book and like this legal process and then having the book out and feeling so vulnerable exactly what you said like people know everything about your life and you're just like uh, I don't feeling a lot of shame and embarrassment of like oversharing, you know, and like feeling like, God, like, am I really doing this with my life? Feeling really dissatisfied with how the book has landed or like feeling like, like nothing is satiating, um, whatever it is that I want. Um, and really struggling with that and, and feeling like, okay, how do I surrender? Telling myself to surrender then feeling frustrated that I'm not surrendering. Um, it's been a like a really big spiral dance with myself. Um, but I'm I'm just in it, you know, and like that's why I asked because I knew, you know, I knew that you were we were like communicating, but we were both in our experiences. So there wasn't a lot that we could, you know, this is yeah, this is our chance to sort of like I think talk through that fog and it's really like powerful to hear like how you were experiencing it and um that's why I was so curious because I knew that you were definitely probably having your own process that was like going to be so specific it's also your first book and the first book relationship is very different and um and it's your baby you know and and it's everything that you poured into it like every fat every part of it is so you you know it's to the you know the illustrations inside to the to the preface to the colors I know that you fought for all of these things and you wanted you know like this book to be representative 
of you and what you bring to this world. And I, I know how hard that is, you know, to do that with your art, how much you have to advocate for yourself um, to even get this book made, you know, how much you had to do. So, yeah, I am really curious about sort of the, the rest process for you and also just like how you negotiate those things. So thank you for sharing that. Like, I know it's, it's an up and down joyride, as you said. Um, and thank you. For <laughs> like, you're just so fucking real. You know, like you are like since the beginning. And I remember sitting at your event when your book came out in Brooklyn and you talking about how like your dreams have changed shape, right? Like I think what we move within literary spaces and we're told like what to expect and what to hope for in terms of like a book being like a bestseller and like what have you know like reaching these milestones of success and I am not like I'm embarrassed to say it but I'm not ashamed to say that I had those wishes too you know I had these like Mm -hmm. bestseller dreams in mind and all these like you know I I was wanting to do it big of course and that's not a bad thing and that's what we're told to hope for Mm -hmm. while at the same time I think it's complex because it is about our trauma, right? Like these books mm-hmm. are about our deep trauma and it's like mm-hmm. almost mm-hmm. They're, yeah. They're not like inextricably linked. Yeah. Totally. The validation. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's like, I've, yeah. Like the more people read this, the more I feel validated in mm-hmm. my experience. It's also completely earth shattering and I'm sure this happens to you too to have people come up to me and tell me their very similar experiences I'm like Mm. how many fucking people are going through any kind of intimate violence right and why are we why do we why does it feel like we have such limited resources right like a lot of the feedback that I've got is like I haven't read something like this etc and I'm like neither have I and I really want us to be able to engage in these conversations with each other while at the same time being aware of the complete heartbreak, knowing that this is happening so often, right? And then on top of that, writing about our trauma, fighting to have it kind of in this body of work and then wanting it to reach these milestones. It's like a complicated beast. It's a beast, exactly. It's a beast. And so I'm so grateful for you that we are kind of in parallel with these experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's actually just so like helpful just to hear it, you know, because it's like you're in your head. I'm in my head all the time, just, but I've just been spiraling for months. And like, it's also just really shameful. So I can't talk about it in public space. Like I don't want to talk about it. It feels very vulnerable and icky. Um, and, uh, you know, I do feel this like sense of like, oh, I should feel happy. I should feel like, you know, really put, like people keep being like, it's so great to see you're doing so well. And I'm like, you haven't even asked me how I'm doing. <laughs> it's so crazy. You know, it's like really the dissonance is really intense. Um, and, you know, something I've also like really started to think about. And I, I wonder how this lands for you is like, I actually really need validation 
And I didn't realize that. And I think that like in our culture, because of this like feminization of care that, you know, you kind of talk about, you know, and like, I also talk about, it's like something that I think we think about a lot and like, what does care even mean? And how does one, how does one care for themselves when what you do is and and how you express yourself is is also tied to like what is cost what was the most painful thing in your life and that's the thing you're trying to impress people about you know it's just like this really like and I talk about it in therapy all of the time like the irony that I like am doing a career that literally is on my wound you know it's like I'm excavating I'm excavating but I'm excavating the wound in order to understand it and this is the first time in my life that I feel like I've um I felt like like the the that feeling of being hit by a ton of bricks like really like I physically and spiritually and just somatically and energetically felt that um release like did you feel that kind of release like was it joyful I mean what does a joy ride look like in that sense I think like everything you said is so powerful and I think something that came up for me after I like submitted the last draft of the book is actually what if I have nothing left to write about that's like a thought that I had Mm -hmm. like I was like okay I guess the book is done what I have what if I have nothing left to say And in a way, I think that was me kind of thinking like, I am my trauma. Like, that's all I am. I am my trauma and I am the story that I've written about it. And like, that was like a really like depressing state to be in, to really, to realize that I genuinely believed that in moments. And so I think lately after the book has come out, it's surprising because there is almost like a, a a period of like grief or something where it's just like, oh, yeah. like it's done, like on to the next thing, I guess, right? But I, I've been exploring that thought. I've been like really sitting with it, sitting with what I believe to make myself worth, right? What I attach to myself worth, what as a child, as in a parent of Asian immigrants, I believe to be my self-worth, which was usually achievement, right? Usually accolade, reward, you know, not care, not warmth, etc. And so now that I'm in a different place and honestly, like when I return to what you said about how your, your dreams are shifting places, I actually feel quite invigorated by the idea that I can, I have a lot to say. And like you said, we're always in our heads, like we're always thinking. And as writers, we, our job is really like to think on a page. And I want to believe in that brilliance. And I want to believe that I actually have a lot more to say because I do, because I'm thinking all the time. And honestly, there's so much in that right? In that constant reflection and in that devotion and desire to be closer to myself and to always understand like what is within this feeling, what is at the root of it. 
And so I'm not so much in that place of scarcity anymore. Mm-hmm. But that conundrum that you were describing before, it is such a specific and unique one. And I think it does come from this place where we believe that we can only take on the role as caretakers for others mm. and not so much just take care of ourselves, take care of our big brains, you know, like mm-hmm. we're allowed to do that and we're allowed to write about whatever yeah. we want. It doesn't just have to be about our pain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Imagine. Um, well, yeah, I actually want to talk to you about love and a lot of other things. And something that I really love about the book is you know, you, we really get a sense of like what you're reading, who you're inspired by. There's like so many other references. And, and I I was curious what really helped you? Like, did you read anything? Did you, did you, were there writers that you turned to like North Stars or like, what, was there a movie that really helped you? A song that really moved you while, or many of them while you were specifically birthing this book that like has last, like has a lasting memory with you I love that question and I I feel like it kind of ties into what I was saying before about having this false belief that I had nothing left to say because mm-hmm. I actually mm-hmm. feel like when I am in connection to anybody else's art especially artists that I feel really connected to I'm always in dialogue and I'm always like in mm-hmm. and I find myself mm-hmm. like journaling about like a song that I listened to on the bus or journaling for hours about a movie that I watched and so that's like there's a generativeness to that and mm-hmm. just indulging in other people's art and I, I thought that was really important to constantly cite in the book to always re- like refer to the people including you who have inspired me so deeply and have invigorated my spirit in that way and my process for writing the book was like I would write one day like I take a whole day to write and then the next day I just read all day I wouldn't write a single word I just read and I got through so many books like that and I'm so happy because they were books that I've been wanting to read just in general mm-hmm. you know I mm-hmm. I read books by like Tyson Yunkaporta and Robin Wall Camara and Bell Hooks of course and Audrey Lord and those in general are like my literary idols and ancestors and just being able to read them for the research process, I think was really important. Cause I'm like, I don't just want to research like academic texts that are not usually in my like rotation of mm-hmm. absorbing art. I actually want to just reference the books that guide me through my everyday life and bring me closer to love every single day. Right. And there's a blessing and a privilege in that. Um, I also like made this 800 song playlist because music is so important. I think in the writing process as well, I love, I have a flair for the dramatic. I realized, so I love just a cinematic soundtrack. (laughs) Will we write? I mean, I think writers are pretty dramatic and I watched a lot of film. I watched a lot of um, Asian cinema specifically. I think there was something very comforting about seeing people in like from Asia create art. I don't know. That gave me this sense of like, oh, I can do this. I can do this. I can create something really interesting. Um, and what I, were you watching? I 
specifically reference one movie in the book, um, Hirokazu Koreeda's Afterlife. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. I watched all his films. Uh, I watched a lot of Abbas Kiarostami, um, Edward Yang, you know, very like, I realized there was a theme there and it was all very like slice of life kind of movies, but very mm-hmm. much based on relationship dynamics, mm-hmm. which made a lot of sense because I was ultimately writing a book about relationships. And so witnessing mm-hmm. people in these nuanced and complex relationships, conveying emotions that kind of get triggered through relationships was really helpful. So yeah, I have been able to write because I've been able to be in dialogue with other artists. Um, and I don't think I could be the writer I am today without that. Yeah. 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 I mean, none of us it's so beautiful to see that. And I think that that is like why I kind of asked that question right after you were talking about like that feeling of like, will I ever have anything to write ever again? It is what art that brings us back to our own writing and to our own art. It's the experience of art. And I think that something really beautiful about our relationship is our ability to have always done that for each other or ourselves and the ways in which we have shared communication. And, you know, we were both Asian Australian. We both come from this very specific, you know, land and then like specific experience and then being Asian, which is very different. Being East Asian is very different in Australia than it is being in America. And so all of those like sort of cultural shorthands that we have, I think, Edward Yang, Abbas Kiarostami, you know, like they, they are all of these like filmmakers and like people that I think like that are in our constellations. And I've always found that really exciting about your mind, the ways yeah. in which like that expands and, and comes into your own art. Um, yeah, like I guess this sort of then brings me back to, I was thinking about all these questions that I wanted to ask you that I've never really asked you before. and they're about the book but not like I'm really curious why you wanted to be a writer in the first place because we've never actually talked about that that's actually so true and I don't think anyone has asked me that (laughs) like I was thinking about that while I was reading your book a lot today you know it's just like what makes what brings someone to the page oh my gosh I love that question Um, I used to have these little journals, right? These little diaries or whatever that I would just scribble in like red pen, scribbling how like I was angry at my mom and how this boy I had a crush on didn't like me back. And it would just be like stream of consciousness release. And I was way too young to realize that that was what I was doing, but the pen is what I turned to when I felt any kind of inner turmoil, basically, or when I wanted to document a happy memory or something. And I think that has been such a constant and intuitive practice in my life. But I, it was really hard for me to call myself a writer until extremely recently, actually. Mm. Um, I also have a, like a background in music journalism and I would interview a lot of artists and talk to a lot of artists and I write about their art. And in a way mm. I felt like I was avoiding creating my own. 
through mm. just like talking to artists about their art and almost living vicariously through them. And I kind of got to a point where I was genuinely just scribbling in notebooks and journals over and over again and believing that my writing could only be like a me thing. It could only be something for my eyes. It could only be something for myself to experience. And then I kind of took a leap and started sharing some of the things that I wrote literally on social media or in a newsletter. And I think there is just something, I mean, writing has just always saved my life. And I always advocate that if you write in a journal, whatever, if you write privately and no one has ever set eyes on your work, you're still a writer, right? And I think for me, I always was one, but I, to believe that I was one, I needed to share my work, which I don't necessarily still believe in, but that was my trajectory, mm-hmm. And the way that people responded to my work, and by people, I mean two or three people, took the time to read it, Mm. to pay attention to it, and to, like, listen and validate me was something that I knew was very special. And it felt like a strengthening in connection. It felt like a practice of closeness, not only with myself, but with the person who was reading it. And I, I just feel like writing is such a powerful tool of connection in that way and that's why I wanted to be a writer like I I guess I wanted to connect with myself and people more and that's like the core of that dream and Mm -hmm. it's really beautiful to be able to call myself that Mm -hmm. now not because a book is out but because Mm -hmm. I write and that's it I I practice Mm -hmm. writing I love writing and I finally have found the strength in myself to share it, you know? I want to yeah. ask you that question too, because that's such a good question. And I've genuinely never thought about it, really. Why? Why I wanted to be a writer? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I have, I like wrote down things that I want to ask you next. Um, uh, okay. Um, why I wanted to be a writer? Firstly, like totally with you, survival. I mean, I started writing like a bird when I was 12. Like that's like, that's still when I think about that. I'm just like, how is that possible? Um, And it, and it wasn't even when I started to write it or even like years and years, years of of writing it. I still didn't feel like I was a writer. I never considered it to be like a possible career choice for me because I had a very like academic family and it made sense for us to like always be in some kind of academic form I also think like East Asians have all the you know like we have like this like or at least my family there's like this obsession for to get like that seal of approval Mm um you know and then I um just wasn't and I, I think that now as an adult looking back, I can understand it, but I wasn't um, functioning in, in that world. I wasn't functioning in the bureaucracy of the university environment and of like, you know, like wanting to be a lawyer, which is what I was going to be. I was going to be a human rights lawyer. 
And then I dropped out of school. Um, and after I dropped out of school, after I dropped out of university, writing was the only thing that was there. Like it was the only thing that I had to reach for. Um, and I had had an astrological reading of my chart when I was 18 um, done for me. And it was like this, this hour long process. Um, and I, uh, remember distinctly a couple of times it was Turkish Muslim astrologer who was reading my chart and she said like three times I think that I should be a writer and it just stuck with me because I was like why would someone tell me that like that's so random like you know and I had you know I had like a bird I was like obviously really committed to something um and then I think eventually it was the only thing that made sense and for me, creatively and artistically, it was the only thing that I think I feel like I've had for most of my life. Like writing has probably been the most dependable relationship I've had outside of God. And it's because like, no matter what, I can go there and I can write. Nobody is going to tell me what to say. Nobody's going to tell me not what to say. You know, when you come from a house of like, I was deeply surveilled as a child. When you have that kind of upbringing, you know, like everything is so protective, you know, but like to feel like free and to feel like these are my words and I'm allowed to say them. I mean, writing a book like this, like writing about abuse, I think there is, and I hope for the book, for the both of us that we can kind of return to this feeling or get this feeling soon. Like the, the awe of writing something so deep and so powerful in order to release it that that sense of all like I really want to get there um and I actually want to ask you about that because recently I you know I've been trying to unpack like my depression a little bit more and I think that has a lot to do with the fact that it's been hard for me to locate all or like find all in the world and you know I'm all inspired every day I think like I'm I'm with the earth I'm, I'm I see a hummingbird everything like I'm so excitable as you know I'm very animated but there's a deep sense of like still sadness and I wonder if it's like finding something that's more all that's bigger than me but in order to write this work that's so dark you have to have so much light and you have to find so much awe and so what have you been finding awe in or have you been finding awe in anything recently I mean that question in itself right and I think the ability to pose that question to yourself and to be aware that awe is such a powerful tool in survival to be honest right like I think when we do go through our holes of depression or we're going through like deep spirals downward spirals what is so like profound are like the moments of all that we experience right in these like dark times where it just feels like tunnel vision and we're just looking into like the darkness into a pit but there are these glimpses of awe and I try to hold on to that as much as possible and I think we like you said existing in our heads is really not easy and it 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 does create this like whirlwind of thought and emotion well at the same time I think for me always it's like that physicality of like my body of just like breath right like always returning to breath and I go to a monastery and I think having my 
spiritual practice in Buddhism is extremely powerful for me because I can be spiraling, right? Like in sinking really deep in. And they say something so simple, like take a deep breath, you are here. Take a deep breath, you are home. And that is just something that completely changed my life. And I think it's because it's so simple. And when we are in our heads in these like whirlwinds and vortexes, it's so complicated, right? It's like that meme where like that lady is like doing all these math equations and it's like, what if, what if, worst scenario, da, da, da. And what that breath kind of does, it kind of like sheds those cobwebs a bit or like breaks those like constellations. And it's just like, you're here. Mm right? Like you're here. And that for me provides a sense of awe that for me allows me to notice like the fern that is unfurling next to me, right? Or the change of temperature in the air or the the beam of sunlight that shines through or the way that like when we light incense, like smoke doesn't travel in a straight line, you know, like really simple moments that create awe that remind me that my loving being is connected to all loving beings, right? And that's not easy. That's the thing. It's like actually not easy at all. And awe is so simple, but I think what our society and like the systemic violence that surrounds us kind of wants is to strip that simplicity away and like make everything so complicated, right? Making having food on our plates and a roof over our heads, extremely complicated. And I think all, what all does, it calls in the simple and that in itself is extremely profound. And it now requires a lot of skill of like giving yourself permission to pause. And so, yeah, I think all for me is simple, but it's difficult to get there. And that's kind of where I've been at too, like, when I'm in my depression spirals, I will be in bed. And I mean, I'll be looking out my window and I'll look at the tree and I'll feel nothing. Like, I'll be so honest, right? Like, I I get that way. But I think then remembering these mantras, breathing deep and actually focusing on something and feeling my groundedness with the groundedness of the being outside instead of just like perceiving it is a really different and profound experience. But it's not always easy to get there yeah no and we're we're like learning it for ourselves we're teaching it to each other we're talking about it so we can like share and and unpack and I think we both learn so much through conversation you know and communication and it's so evident in your book um another thing that was really is really evident and something that I guess I just really want to hear you talk about is your relationship to Buddhism and how that's evolved. I know, especially I saw the sort of like um, that transformation in you over the years of like, it's become more and more present and more and more like a a compass. So like, I mean, I think, you know, because the book is about love, but also because you are writing about, or you are you know practicing something that's so spiritually um, potent. How does that experience or relationship to Buddhism or even the Buddha or whatever you want to share how does that um ground you and help you and um teach you yeah I think that Buddhism is 
absolutely inseparable from the work and the type of writing that I've done and like you said you've seen me change and grow as an artist and it's interesting because I think for me my voice became clearer to myself when I started practicing Buddhism more Mm. constantly you know Mm. and I think biggest lesson that is in the book right that I try to convey and also that I have learned through Buddhism is that you know, every chapter in the book details a different nuanced emotion that I experienced in this healing journey of intimate violence, right? And each, like, I kind of start off a lot of chapters with how scared I was of every emotion, right? Like about, especially grief, shame, even numbness. I was just so scared every time they arose. Like, I'd be like, you can't feel that way. Like, you can't feel grief. That makes you weak. That means that you miss your abuser. Are you crazy? What's wrong with you? Like, you need to be strong. You need to be good. Like, this is this, you get, get over it. You know, like I, this punishing punitive voice in my head would just tell me to skip that emotion, delete it, avoid it, etc. Right. And that actually deeply prolonged my journey because I would be super dissociative and I'm not like blaming myself for anything because those were the tools that I had but I would be so dissociative I would just go out to try to escape this feeling I party I'd engage in like all these sexual relationships that I really did not have the capacity to engage in etc etc like very self-destructive behavior uh, because I did not know the alternative I did not know what self- like restoration looks like I didn't know what stillness looks Mm -hmm. like or that it was possible Mm. and I think what Buddhism has taught me is that especially through the practice of meditation right like I think people have this misguided idea that meditation is you blocking thoughts out right it's like a thought coming you're like nope I'm not thinking this I just want to picture white light nothing else right I think that's what some people envision meditation to be And therefore, it's such a difficult practice because it's like, how do I block everything? What I learned through going to the Vietnamese monastery that I do go to is that it's actually not about blocking anything. It's about sitting with it all, right? It's about having a thought come to you, an intrusive thought that's maybe, for example, saying like, you're not good enough, Mimi. And me, instead of sitting there and being like, no, not a useful thought, Instead of being like, yes, I'm thinking that I am, like, I'm thinking this thought right now about myself. Mm. I sit with it, right? I have an itch on my leg and I sit with Mm. it and I'm scratching it. And I hear the breeze outside and I'm not blocking it out, but I also sit with it. And that's what Buddhism taught me about emotion. It's that as these emotions come, instead of blocking them out, What does it look like to sit with it? And what does it look like to sit with it and love yourself through it? I think that's actually, to me, what self-love is about. Mm -hmm. We've been taught, and and I know you write about this, but it's like, we've been told that self-love is like, no, you're a bad bitch. Like, you're good. Like, don't like anything you. Like, this doesn't serve you, et cetera. But it's like, what if self-love is actually like, these things are affecting me now and I do mm-hmm. feel vulnerable and I don't mm-hmm. feel strong, but I love mm-hmm. myself through it. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what Buddhism taught me. And I don't think I would have love without that. Yeah, because it's um, it's also like when you were talking, what I was thinking about is like we come from cultures where deep inquiry was at the cornerstone of civilization. We come from people, lineages, um, ancestries, ancestors that were deeply, um, deeply considering like their minds and deeply going to these, you know, corners of their minds in ways that you don't see in Europe or in European alignment. Like we're talking about thousands of years ago, like it's just really extraordinary, you know, Buddhism arrived to the world 3,500 years ago. Um, And so the thing that really stuck with me while you were talking is that that's where we come from. And so, of course, it makes sense that, you know, this like your Buddhist practice that you're experiencing right now is really centering the importance of actually acknowledging those thoughts and acknowledging and understanding that we are, you know, contradictions and we are constantly having to contradict our minds are contradicting us. And so, you know, we're, we're also mortal beings. And I wrote this in Who's Wellness for because there's a meditation chapter. And when I was doing the research on that, something that really moved me was like, meditation is also death awareness. It's an understanding that we are going to die. And so it's to be present with that impermanent state and fully aware of the kind of like, again, contradiction of like, you are alive and you will die. Um, And yeah, that just really moved me about what you shared, because I think it says a lot about just sort of even like the ways in which Buddhism has gotten like widified and like, you know, just really turned into something, you know, like for capitalism and like transcendental meditation and all of these sort of offshoots are like really prioritizing money and the lineages that actually these these like practices come from privileged and prioritized true um, unpacking of oneself and one's mortality and questioning of one's being on a just a far more deeper level I think and I think what's exciting about your book too is just like and you were saying this, it's like this a book like this hasn't existed before. And you're creating a new discourse in so many different ways with all of the things that you're bringing to the table. And Buddhism is just one of those things too. Like, as you said, you wouldn't be able to write about love if you didn't have this practice. And I think that's very clear to me. Like, as I'm reading you, I'm like thinking like, how did you get from A to Z? How did you get from this to here, right? Like that's extraordinary that should be awe-inspiring and I think Buddhism is really that answer of like when you're able to sort of remember and ground in something beyond you and that is God and spirit yeah then you're inevitably connected to something higher yeah yeah and that fills me with awe you know I think that like you said, it was from this like A to D, which you have seen me in, in all those ways. And even I think before that, I felt before we saw each other, before we met each other, 
just knowing how we're both Asian Australian and how we have our stories and experiences in those places. It is an honor for you to have witnessed that. And I think you have seen as well that it's been so gradual and it's not because I've necessarily attended like elite Ivy League writing workshops because I definitely haven't. It's because I've just learned to have compassion for myself and learned Mm. to be kind to myself while writing about really difficult truths. And I think Mm. that has pushed me to be the writer that I am today. And like you said before, it really moves me when you talked about how you were surveilled your whole life and writing is where you felt free because that's exactly what it is. It's Mm. where we feel safe. It's carving out safety for ourselves as survivors. And I think what that takes is actually believing that we deserve to feel safe in the first place, which is why I am where I am today, because I finally realized that I deserve to feel safe and I deserve to feel protected, as do you, right? And as you fought for your book, I know that you went through your legal battles and you were fighting for your safety. Like I was watching you do that and your freedom. And that is the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to end on love because we only have a few more minutes. Um, you know, you're, you're telling us to be not afraid of love. Are you afraid of love? Do you feel love these days? <laughs> I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid. But I think what's different is that I can admit that now and I can sit with that and I can love myself while I am afraid. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I've never said this during an event before, but... I am exploring a new romantic relationship. Oh. Whoa, big exclusive. I'm so private about my love life. But I think what that has shown me is that when we engage in deep, intimate relationships, our wounds come out, right? Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking of myself as you know, of course my ego has come into play and I'm like, I'm good. Like I'm Mimi Zoo. I'm solid. I've learned how to be secure. I've learned how to be really confident in not only my career, but just in my, like the embodiment of like self-assurance that I've kind of built up over the last few years, right. Of being able to create a space for myself of feeling great in the community, whatever, whatever, like all these things have felt like you know, they've fallen into place and I'm like, I deserve this. I, I worked for this, whatever, what, la, 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 right? I've thought of myself as like Mimi Zoo, the individual, independent person, whatever. And then I started dating and I was like, oh, I need to think about who Mimi Zoo as like a lover is, who Mimi Zoo mm-hmm. as a partner is, not just someone writing about love or theorizing mm-hmm. about love, And honestly, practicing love, but in community spaces, in friendships, in even my biological family, but 
re-entering what is the scariest dynamic of them all to me because of my trauma, which is a romantic mm-hmm. partnership. Like I am so afraid. Mm-hmm. But I think what has been so beautiful is the difference that it has because I've been afraid before, of course. I've had my intimacy issues many, many times. And I found that in those instances, I've found myself being afraid and I'm like, what's wrong with me? I'm not ready. I got to go. That's been the usual reaction. But lately I found myself being like, I'm afraid and I'm going to hold myself through it. And I'm going to take time to be tender with myself and understand where that fear is coming from, right? Like, Mm being afraid that I will be hurt, being afraid that I'll be abandoned, being rejected. That's all really real. But that's not, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm afraid of love itself as a, as the powerful force that I actually embody Mm. now. Mm. So it's really different as that fear comes up. I think what's important is not the fact that I'm feeling the fear, but that I know how to move with it better. Or I, mm. I have new tools now, right? Including mm. the art that I'm absorbing, the breathing meditation that I do, these new tools that are just like, okay, you're afraid. So let's move through this together. Yeah. My therapist, again, shout out to Aditi. <laughs> but mm. she really taught me that. She taught me how to do this thing where I actually have a conversation with my fear. And that has been so helpful. And she loves this whole like um, role play vibe, but like where I'm playing like myself and then I'm playing my fear. And we've done a role play before. I'm playing myself and where I'm playing my mom. And that was like mortifying for me because I'm like, like I had to do it in front of her on like a couch in a therapist's office. And I was just like, my inner theater kid was coming out. Like I was just freaking out, but I have been doing that actually lately where I've been role-playing as myself and then being myself and then role-playing as my fear and just having a chat. And it's really cool. And I really advise anybody, if you get some moment of solitude, if you're alone in your room or even your shower, you know, to just have a conversation with your fear, because I can assure you that it will make your fear less monstrous, right? Mm -hmm. You'll actually see what your fear is telling you. Mm -hmm. So I say that all to say, yes, I am very afraid, but I am in love with myself even as I move through the fear. And so I am afraid of love while at the same time I'm moving through the fear with love. And that feels amazing. Mm. Yeah. It's so new. And it's so like, that's how you build safety. Um, You do it through the trial and error of that experience. I think what's so powerful also that you're in this experience when there's like all of this cataclysmic shift happening around you and like, you know, you're also like all of the teaching that you've, you've um, had an experience over the last couple of years. Now you're getting to, and, and like through writing this book, now you're getting to like, not put into action because this is, I think in a lot of ways, like grieving a past version of you, but it's also hopeful. There is this hopefulness, um, you know, like the, the, the title itself is like a mantra, 
you know, like be not afraid of love, like be not afraid of love. You can keep saying that to yourself. Yeah. And so like to, it's really cool and really um, telling and, and ripe. And it feels like the right time that this is happening now. I love the word ripe. It's juicy. Yeah. Like, it's really juicy, I, yeah. The both of us can say that like, as the page ends, as the last page comes to a close, we continue the work. Mm-hmm. Like the story <laughs> continues. If anything, yeah. it begins again. And, yeah. you know, and that's been amazing. Like I'm like, and like, like we said before, like how can I get to a place where I'm like, I have nothing left to say because as soon as I close the book, or as soon as I finish the last word, I continue living and the work doesn't stop. Like the work never ends, but it's work I find awe inspiring, right? The awe of it, tedious, but juicy and ripe and delicious. And I'm dedicated to it. You know, I'm dedicated to continuously living off the page and then coming back to the page and sharing it all over again. So, mm. yeah. What are, you, what are you excited to write about next then? Do you have, like, in the spirit of, like, thinking about the future, what feels right for you to write about? I want to write about Asians being in love and how hard that is for us. Mm. It's not wow. easy to love and be in a healthy secure relationship as an Asian person and I want to write a whole book about it like I actually want to go to Asia and I want to do research and wow. I want to my family so I, that's what I want to write about next um it's so yeah. exciting yeah this is really, really exciting this is really exciting I want to meet you there you, so where are you Please. gonna go China where would you go Okay, where do li- you want to what what do you want to look at? Like what's what's your feet like case studies? I want to talk to families, really. That's really it. I want to yeah. see families in like in their own dynamics. I want to see how they move. I want to go back to my own lineage and go to temples. Like I want to do it all and I want to do like I want to write books about it. I want to make shows about it. I want to be in film and TV I want to do it all like I just want to tell stories in every sort of way and I feel really excited and I think that definitely is spurred from my being in practice of trying to be trying to understand who I am again as a person in romance because I think in the book in Be Not Afraid of Love I actually never talk about how I experience romance again because really? I haven't really you know and mm-hmm. that's been something I've struggled deeply totally. with so like I said when the last page is done it continues and my struggle with romance continues and now that I'm kind of exploring it in my own way I'm so interested in seeing like the lineage of romance in Asian culture oh <gasps> like what is it yeah. where is it you know yeah. Oh my God. I also think that like, what's really cool. And I, this is what I hope for you is that, yeah, the page doesn't end and a new story can be written a new, a beautiful story can be written a, a, a huge story can be written of what your experience with love. I mean, 
that's the hope, right? Like it's that you're ever evolving and ever changing and that the lessons are not the same. So the, so the experiences are different. And yeah, I, I personally, as your dear friend, hope that for you, you know, and it's so darling to hear that you're, you're feeling things again. And that, that gives us all hope as your audience for the future of your writing and your life. I think that's a really beautiful place to, to end this conversation. Yeah. And I'll send you voice notes about it. Don't worry. <laughs> we- I mean, I want it all. <laughs> I want every, I want everything. Um, thank you so much for being here and being present and talking about these things with me. I know it's there. It's a lot to show up and I'm just grateful because this conversation was really generative and beautiful. Everything I could have hoped for. I love you so much. And you have been one of my teachers in love and you've allowed me to sit with you in my field. Like I remember our conversations at your dinner table and how we talked about our fear so openly and how we love each other through it all. So I love you like so much. I love you too. So much. So proud of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs Podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. We recognize that our university's building in San Francisco occupies traditional, unceded Ramaytush Ohlone lands. If you are interested in learning more about Native lands, languages, and territories, the website native-land.ca is a helpful resource for you to learn about and acknowledge the Indigenous land where you live. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrer at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team also includes Izzy Angus, Kyle DiMedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Patty Fort, and Nikki Rhoda. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. CIIS Public Programs commits to use our in-person and online platforms to uplift the stories and teachings of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, those in the LGBTQIA community, and all of those whose lives emerge from the intersections of multiple identities.